Good morning. Oh, come on. It, you're the second, it's the second service. Good morning. Oh, thank you very much. That makes me feel warm. Uh, hey, I'm excited to be here. My name's Kevin. I'm the Groups and Disciple-Making Pastor. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, or uh, if you want to, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible. Uh, there's several on the floor around you, a blue Bible. You can turn to page 717, 717 in the blue Bibles. Well, many of you may know that I am the father of three children, but if you didn't know, now you do. I have uh, three kids. My oldest daughter is four. Her name is Selah. Uh, I have a, a second, our, our second one is uh, a little girl named Zoe, and Zoe is two and a half years old. And then we just had a new baby boy about three months ago, and uh, his name is Gideon. And so we have three kids under the age of four, and so uh, I'll ask you, are we getting any sleep in the house? I don't think so. That's right. Uh, but we are having a lot of fun, and I love my children. I love being a dad, and one of the things I love doing with my children is uh, taking my daughters, my four-year-old Selah and my two uh, my two-year-old uh, Zoe out on what we call daddy-daughter dates, okay? And uh, most often, this will look like a trip to maybe like Panera Bread on a Saturday morning. So we'll go, go to Panera Bread and, and grab a bagel. Here's a picture of uh, my daughter Zoe and I just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I may be biased, but isn't she adorable? I think she's adorable. And uh, here she's sharing her bagel with me. She wanted to offer it up to me. And, and uh, I, I just I so enjoy that time with them. And about a year ago, I was sitting at Panera Bread with my uh, oldest daughter, Selah. And we're sitting there and uh, we're having our bagel. And there was this long kind of pause in the middle of our time together where uh, I realized as I'm, I'm sitting across the table from my four-year-old that I, I don't know what to talk to her about. And so we're sitting there, and we're just kind of sitting there in silence. And it's really awkward for me. I doubt it's awkward for her. I mean, she's four. But for me as a dad, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm so incompetent as a dad. I, I can't have a meaningful conversation with my four, four-year-old little girl. And, and I left that day kind of stressed out a little bit, and I probably overthink things a little bit. And, uh, but as I processed that day and that experience, here's, what, here's one of the things I discovered. That one of my greatest desires, one of my greatest desires is to have an intimate relationship with my children. Don't you want that? I mean, I want a deep, deep relationship with my kids. And I don't want just any kind of relationship. I want one where uh, they know that I love them, one where they know they are accepted and they don't have to hide anything from me. And, and not, just, uh, not just are they accepted, but that I enjoy them and I delight in them and that I get excited about spending time and that, that they know that Dad wants to share life with them. And this morning, I just want to remind you, that's, that's the way our Heavenly Father feels about you and me. Our Heavenly Father longs to have an intimate relationship with us. Jesus spoke to this in John 17.3. Look what he said here in John 17.3. Uh, he's praying uh, to his Heavenly Father. Until last night, he's uh, with his disciples before he's arrested. And here's what he says. He says, now this is eternal life. He's going to define what eternal life is, what is real life, what he came to bring us that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And he's talking to his father there. And so he says, basically, the goal of my whole ministry is that, the, that they would know you, God. And the word know there, some of you have heard me talk about this, the word know there in Greek is the word gnosko. Now, the meaning of that word is very, very significant. It is a knowledge that's grounded in personal experience. It means to, have, to be intimately acquainted with someone. And so this is, uh, Jesus is not saying, I want people to know about you, God. 
Because there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing them, isn't there? Jesus is saying eternal life is having an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I want to tell you this morning that I think, I think God wants the kind of intimate relationship with you that He had with Jesus while Jesus was here on earth. And see, that was the secret to Jesus' life. The secret to Jesus' life was his intimacy with he had with his heavenly Father. It was a secret to his life. It was the motivation of his life. It was the engine that drove Jesus. The heartbeat of his whole life was this intimacy that he shared with his heavenly Father. And it's not only the secret to Jesus' life, but it's a secret to your life and mine as well. Whether or not you realize it or not, what you were created for was gnosko, intimacy with God. And there is where you're going to find the life that you were created for. Now, we may be tempted to think that Jesus automatically had intimacy with his father because he was God. But I think that would be a a really faulty view of the real Jesus. Jesus didn't automatically have an intimate relationship with his father. We're told in in the scripture that he had to grow and he had to develop and he had to learn. And that Jesus cultivated intimacy with his father through prayer. In fact, I think that's the primary way that Jesus cultivated that relationship was through prayer. In the Gospels, we have over 30 instances of Jesus praying. Of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they asked what? Teach us to pray. They saw that the secret to his life, what made Jesus so unique, was that intimate relationship that he shared. And prayer was the primary way he cultivated it. And I think that Jesus, and this is in your notes, I think Jesus showed us that prayer is the primary way that we, that you and I, are going to cultivate intimacy with God. We're in week three of our series called The Son of Man, Walking as Jesus Walked. Jesus was the Son of God, but He was also the Son of Man. He was fully God and He was fully man. He was one person with two complete natures. We call that the hypostatic union, a big theological word to describe that. And in this series, we are specifically and we're intentionally looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the lens of his humanity. Because in his humanity, Jesus gave us an example to follow. He was man as God intended man to be, as one author wrote. And 1 John 2.6 tells us this, that anyone who claims to be a Christ follower must walk as Jesus walked. Well, what does it mean to really walk as Jesus walked? Well, I think you could say it this way. To walk as Jesus walked means to pattern our life after his life. We all look for a pattern in our lives to follow, don't we? Now, we're all looking for role models in the various areas of our life, whether it be as a, as a, as a spouse or as a parent, or as a business executive maybe, or uh, even it doesn't matter what area of life. We're always looking for an example to follow. Why is that? I think that's because we instinctively know we need an example. We can't figure this out on our own, this thing called life. And Jesus is our greatest example. But too often we don't look to him as our example, because, well, we think, well, he was God and I'm not, therefore I can't live like he did. But as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, when we discussed the humanity of Jesus, that that's kind of a, that's a faulty view of Jesus. That while Jesus was fully God, during his life on earth, Philippians 2 tells us he didn't use the God card to his own advantage. But instead he chose, willingly chose, to live out of his humanity so he could empathize with you and me. And because he did that, he gives us a model to follow and a model that we can pattern our life after. 
Well, this morning, we're going to look at the pattern of prayer in Jesus' life. And over the next 15 minutes, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a Bible study through the Gospel of Luke. And I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of how-to praise today. I just want us to look deeply into the, uh, into the, uh, the prayer life of Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, seven different examples of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Luke. And I hope you've had your coffee by now. I hope you're ready to think with me. We're going to think together. I'm going to ask a lot of, uh, a lot of why questions. Why did Jesus pray? And so let's get started. Let's turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Luke 3, verse 21. Let me read this. Follow along as I read it out loud. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying... Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice, catch this, this is so, so amazing. A voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. Wow. So this is the first direct reference to Jesus' prayer life. He's at the Jordan River being baptized by John the Baptist, and the Father audibly speaks to his son. Think with me here. What do you think went through Jesus' heart and mind in the moment when he heard his father's voice? Can you think about that? What expression, let me ask you this, what expression came across his face in that moment? I imagine Jesus may have been uh, quite surprised. This was likely the very first time Jesus ever heard his father's audible voice. He could have heard it before this moment, but we have no reason to believe that he did. And so if this was his first time hearing his father's voice, uh, imagine what that moment must have been like for Jesus. I imagine it was overwhelming for him. I imagine it was a moment filled with great joy, a a moment where his heart was filled with courage and, and strength and encouragement. His heart must have been filled with peace and joy. I imagine it brought tears to his eyes, hearing his father's audible voice for the first time. Think with me here. Why do you think Jesus, or why do you think the father said this to Jesus? So the father says, this is my son whom I love and with you I'm well pleased. He actually quotes three Old Testament passages. Every phrase there is an Old Testament passage. Uh, the first one was from Genesis 22.2. The second one is from Psalm 2.7. And the third one was from Isaiah 42.1. And they all speak to the identity of Jesus. Now, why, why would the father say this to Jesus? Or let me ask it differently. Why does a parent tell their child, I love you and I'm proud of you? Parents, why do you tell your children that? Well, we say that to affirm our children. We say that to encourage them. But ultimately, I don't know about you, but when I say that to my children, I say it to them because I know they need to hear it. They need that. They need to hear their father say, I love you and I'm proud of you. I think Jesus needed to hear it. And, you know, uh, when you hear a phone conversation, you get to hear, if you're in the room and somebody's on the phone, you get to hear what the person in the room is saying, but you don't get to hear what the other person on the other line is saying, right? Well, in this prayer, in in this moment where the Father audibly speaks to Jesus, we get to hear what the Father said, but what do you think Jesus was saying? I think I'm fascinated by that. I want to know, what was he saying? I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine maybe Jesus said something to his father because it's, uh, the, the, the passage reveals that Jesus was the one who seemed to be praying first. He prayed and then the father spoke. So I wonder if Jesus didn't communicate something to his father in that moment that revealed his need to hear this word of affirmation and encouragement and love and blessing from his heavenly father. Well, if Jesus needed to hear that, how much more 
do you and I need to hear from our Heavenly Father, I love you and I'm proud of you? Several years ago, I was doing some, I was in my prayer time and, uh, and I came across this passage and just felt so strongly that the Lord was communicating it specifically to me on that day. And for those who have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, that you've been adopted as God's child, that the Lord, our Heavenly Father relates to you like he does to Jesus in this moment. And he says the same thing to you and I. Now, we need to hear God's voice in our life on a regular basis. Now, we may not uh, hear the audible voice of God, but if we pattern our prayer life after the prayer life of Jesus, we will hear our Father's voice. I think it's absolutely critical. And just as God used the scriptures to speak to Jesus, he wants to use the scriptures to speak to you and to me. We're going to talk about that in just a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the role the scriptures played in Jesus' life. Well, let's keep going. Let's look over at another example in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1 and 2. Luke 4, 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, it doesn't directly say that Jesus was praying, but we know through Jewish custom that uh, fasting was partnered with prayer. And so Jesus spends six weeks alone in a wilderness area, quiet space, praying and fasting to his heavenly Father. Think with me here. What might Jesus have been praying about? What was Jesus praying about for six weeks alone? I can stand about six minutes sometimes in prayer. I don't know about you. Anybody struggle with that? He's out there for six weeks. Here's the thing. I think that uh, he had to be at least talking something about what happened at the, at the Jordan River. He gets baptized at the Jordan River, then he leaves. I mean, if, if God audibly spoke to you, don't you think that would stick with you for a few weeks? Right? I'd have to bring that back up. Uh, I, I'm sure he talked to, to his father about what he had just heard from him. It's in the wilderness where Jesus was tempted by Satan. Right? He's tempted three times in that six-week period by, by Satan. And I'm certain that Jesus prayed about those temptations. In fact, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus asked his father for strength and help to resist the temptation to sin. Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews says that Jesus suffered when he was tempted. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus suffered when he was tempted? That Jesus had to ask for help and strength from his father to to resist the temptation to sin? See, just because uh, Jesus was God, because he was fully human, because he lived out of his humanity, resisting temptation and sin didn't come easy for Jesus. It was, it was hard. It was difficult. And that's why Jesus can empathize with us when we struggle against temptation and sin in our own lives. And so I just, I just I feel convinced that Jesus definitely was praying in order to come temptation and sin in his life. So let's ask ourselves, if we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus, how much more... Do you and I desperately need to be praying in order to overcome the temptations and the sins that we face in our own lives? Well, let's look at another example. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke 5, 16. One chapter over. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I tell you, there may not be a better passage in all of the Gospels that sum up Jesus' prayer life like this passage here. Here's a question for you. If you had to pick one of the words in that passage that you think is probably the most important uh, word, uh, which one would you choose? Let me give you a second. Just uh, pick one. 
Which of the words in that passage would you say are, is the most critical word in that, in that sentence? Okay, how many of you would say the word often? Raise your hand. All right, yeah. How many of you would say uh, withdrew or, or lonely? Right? Yeah. Uh, how many of you would say prayed? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I get alone by myself a lot. That doesn't mean I pray, right? And so that's a critical word. You know, I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if the first couple words in that passage aren't the most important ones, but Jesus. See, because the context of that passage is that Jesus is really busy, and the crowds are closing in, and there is a ton of stuff coming at him. And although he's really busy, and his plate is full, and he has all kinds of demands on his life, But Jesus often withdrew. That's what made him unique. That's what made his pattern of prayer different from everyone else's. Is that when times got tough, when things got busy, in fact, if you study the prayer life of Jesus closely, you'll see the busier his life got, the more he withdrew to pray. Not that you and I need to, can relate to that in any way, right? What does that say about us? Jesus clearly had a pattern of getting away and spending quiet time alone with his heavenly father. On Friday of this past week, my wife and I uh, went and had our first uh, date since our son was born. So our son's three months old. And uh, it, you, you all who have little ones know that those first few months can, can kind of be crazy. And, uh, and so it was Friday was our first lunch date away, just the two of us. And uh, I mean, uh, parents, I mean, I love my children. But time alone from the kids. Can I get an amen? Uh, I mean, I so needed that time with my wife. Paige and I really, we had an hour and a half, and it was just life-giving. It was just like, ah, I just was reminded of how critically important it is for the two of us just to connect one-on-one away from the kids. And, And I'm so thankful for that time because I know this is true. And you know this is true, too. You will never develop intimacy in your relationship with your spouse or with anyone, for that matter, if you don't spend some time alone with them. And the same is true in our relationship with God. I I just want to remind you this morning. I I think uh, uh, under the authority of God's word, it's safe for me to say that you will not experience the kind of relationship that God desires for you to experience with him if you're not spending time alone with him. I just don't think it'll happen. But the beauty is we have an example in Jesus that we actually can. We can have that kind of relationship if we will get away and we will spend time. And so maybe this morning for you, the next step in patterning your prayer life after the prayer life of Jesus is that you need to set aside some time to be alone with your Heavenly Father. You need to maybe put something on the calendar. Uh, I like to call it a prayer appointment. Set a prayer appointment and keep it. And go to meet with your Heavenly Father. Now, keeping the appointment isn't the goal. Sometimes when it comes to the topic of prayer, we, we overemphasize and focus almost too much on the prayer aspect of things and not enough on the relationship. Does that make sense? Sometimes we focus on how to pray or what to pray instead of just focusing on the person that we're trying to connect with. Uh, prayer is a conversation. And Paul Miller, who uh, wrote this book called A Praying Life, and I, I, this is one of probably my favorite three books I've ever read. He, Paul uh, knows the life of Jesus really well. 
He teaches it really well, and he has uh, some great practical wisdom on how to develop a rich, healthy prayer life. And so if, you, if you're interested, I would encourage you to picking up this book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. But in it, he says this. He says, a conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. The goal isn't that we just pray. The goal is the intimate relationship that we get because of the prayer. Prayer is the vehicle. So maybe this morning you need to leave here saying, you know what, I'm going to spend some time alone with my heavenly Father and follow Jesus' pattern. Okay, let's look at another example. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke 6, 12. Who's got that? Anybody want to read that out loud? I'm just kidding. Okay, um, just seeing, are you awake? Are you with me? Okay, I got two guys still here. All right. <laughs> okay, in Luke 6, 12, let's read this. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Check that out. Jesus spends all night in prayer. Now, why? Well, the next morning, he's going to choose 12, uh, the 12 leaders of his movement. He's about two and a half years into his three and a half year ministry. And he has been making disciples now for quite some time. And he's going to choose the 12, not just to be his disciples, but actually to be the apostles or the leaders of his movement. And he's going to choose those 12. Now, here's, here, here, here's what I want you to think with me on. Why would Jesus, the Son of God, need to spend all night in prayer before choosing the 12? Doesn't Jesus automatically know who to choose? I mean, he's the son of God. Didn't Jesus automatically always know the right choice and the right answer? I don't don't think the scripture allows us to come to that conclusion. He was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. And in his humanity, Jesus, I think, didn't always know the right choice or the right answer, but he knew where to get it. And that's why he lived this lifestyle of prayer, is that Jesus constantly went to his father to help receive the guidance and the wisdom to make the decisions and the choices he needed to make. Are you facing an important decision in your life right now? Maybe you're in a season of life where you're unsure of what, what choice or what decision is the right one, and you're looking, you need some wisdom and you need some guidance. Jesus can relate to you. And he showed us that prayer is the place where we can get the guidance and the wisdom that we need. If it was true of Jesus, it's true of us as well. Okay, turn over a few chapters to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at just a couple more. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, uh, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. Whoa. Okay, again, think with me on this. Here is Jesus. He takes three of his disciples with him up on a mountain to pray. And while he is praying, it says while he is praying, something happens. What happens? Moses and Elijah show up. These are two dead guys, right? At least they're physically dead. Clearly, they're as live and as well then as they were on earth. And they show up. Now, here's my question. What did Jesus say to his father that would elicit the father sending Moses and Elijah to him? Think about that. 
What is Jesus praying about that the Father responded to Jesus' prayer by sending Moses and Elijah? And I, 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 I love this. Moses and Elijah had to be two of Jesus' childhood heroes, right? As a young Jewish boy growing up, Moses, Elijah, two of his heroes, the father sins. What's that tell us about the father heart of God ministering to the needs of his son? Well, what did Jesus need in that moment? I think Jesus needed probably encouragement and strength. He's about nine months away from the cross at this point. And it says that they spoke about his departure. Could it be that Jesus was asking his father's questions about how the next nine months would unfold? Could it be that Jesus maybe even, I dare say, was somewhat nervous about what was ahead of him? We're going to see later on that it says he was deeply troubled in the couple days leading up to the cross. Could it be that Jesus was asking his father for encouragement? And then he asked his father for some reassurance. And the father responded by sending Moses and Elijah to him. If Jesus needed to pray for encouragement and strength, how much more do we? I once heard uh, Truett Cathy, the uh, owner of Chick-fil-A, once say, how can you tell when someone needs an encouragement? Needs some encouragement. Everybody waits and he says, they're breathing. He says, if you're breathing, you need encouragement. Jesus needed encouragement and I think he found it in the place of prayer. If you need encouragement today, if you're in a season of life where you need to be encouraged from your Heavenly Father, follow the pattern of Jesus and go to the place of prayer. Okay, two more passages. Look over Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. Uh, We're going to look at verses 37 and 38. Follow along as I read. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Again, not a direct reference of prayer, but we know he's praying. That is one of his prayer spots was the Mount of Olives. And it says he, throughout the whole week, he was spending the night in prayer. He's only a few days away from the cross at this point. It's Passover week. And you get the sense. Listen, once you catch the humanity of Jesus here, you get the sense he's not sleeping this week. It, the time for sleep is over. He's only a few months, I mean a few days away from experiencing the most dreadful moment of his life. And instead of sleeping, he's praying. You facing a storm in your life right now? Listen, maybe you're maybe you've got a loved one who's terminally ill. And they've just received news that they don't have much much longer to live. Or maybe maybe you're sitting here this morning and um Maybe you're facing divorce. You're staring divorce in the eye. You know, when the storms of life come, and they will, we can find the strength and the comfort and the hope that our hearts need in the place of prayer. This is where Jesus got what he needed, and we need to as well. Okay, okay let's look at one last passage in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. I'll look at verse 39. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throws beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Here's what he prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Not Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. He needed strength. And being in anguish, listen, he's in anguish. He prayed even more earnestly. 
and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the other gospel accounts tell us that he, he spends three hours total praying. Three hours. And we're told that he was praying so intensely that he started sweating drops of blood, and he's crying out in prayer to his Heavenly Father. Hebrews 5.7 says that during the days of his life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him. I want you to get this scene in your, in your mind. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine a man laying on the ground, weeping, crying out, audibly offering prayers to his heavenly father. The word for petition in Hebrews 5.7 to describe how Jesus prayed can also mean to beg. Wow. Have you ever imagined Jesus as a beggar? In the garden, he was begging. Some of you can relate to Jesus. Some of you have been crying out and begging God for something. Jesus has been there. He can relate. And he modeled for us what to do in that moment. Paul Miller says that in the garden, in his book, he says, in the garden, Jesus showed us how to pray. I'm going to quickly show you three ways Specific ways that you can pray like Jesus did in the garden. Number one, bring your need. Bring your need. That's in your notes. Jesus prayed because he needed to pray. He needed to pray. He lived a life of dependence on his heavenly father. Jesus was the only man who ever walked the face of the earth that never lived independently of God. See, that's what sin is. Sin is living independent of God, and Jesus never sinned. This is why Jesus did what Adam failed to do. That Jesus always lived in dependence on his heavenly Father. And we see that expressed in his prayer life. And Miller, in this book, makes a bold claim. I want to read it to you. He says this, Jesus was, without a question, the most dependent human being who ever lived. Wow, when I read that, that... That blew me away. He goes on to say that Jesus could not do life on his own. That in his humanity, he needed his father. He goes on to say, and because he couldn't do life on his own, he prays and he prays and he prays. And this is why Jesus often withdrew to pray. Listen to what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 5. He says, by myself, I can do nothing I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I want to draw your attention to two phrases in there. Number one, Jesus saying, by myself I can do nothing. By the way, this isn't the only time Jesus says it. He says it multiple times throughout the Gospel of John. He says, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus was saying, I do not live independently. I live in dependence on my Heavenly Father. And he says, so much so, the reason why is because I seek not to please myself, but I seek to please my Heavenly Father. Do you hear Jesus saying, my Heavenly Father, the intimacy I have with my Heavenly Father is the secret to my life. It's what motivates my life. It's what drives me. This is what it means to walk as Jesus walked. That when you, like Jesus, know that you can't do life on your own, then prayer begins to make complete sense. And the beautiful thing is that we get to pattern our lives after Jesus and that we can bring our needs just as Jesus did. So let me ask you, what, 
What need do you need to bring to Jesus this morning? What need do you bring, need to bring to your Heavenly Father? Is there a relationship that just isn't working in your life? Maybe you're discouraged or depressed. Maybe you're angry or bitter. Maybe it's pride you're wrestling with or fear that you're facing. Maybe you're just overwhelmed and exhausted with life. Maybe you've got a tough decision ahead of you and you're just not sure. Bring your need to your Heavenly Father. And I want to encourage you, not only just to bring your need, but number two, to ask boldly. Ask boldly. Miller has a whole chapter on this, talking about asking boldly. That during the last night with his disciples, six different times Jesus commands his disciples to ask. He says, ask, ask, ask. So often we don't ask. James, the book of James, tells us we have not because we ask not. So don't just bring your need to your Heavenly Father, but specifically ask God, what do you want Him to do with your need? Tell God, how do you want, how do you want Him to specifically meet your need? What is, it, what is the desire of your heart? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus made the desire of His heart very clear to His Father. He asked boldly. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, going a little farther, He fell face down to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus said, listen, I want to hear the boldness in Jesus' prayer. After 33 years of life and three and a half years of ministry, knowing what was ahead of him, Jesus still had the boldness to say, may this cup be taken from me. Wow. So if you've got a relationship that's just not working, what specifically do you want God to do about it? Or if you're discouraged or depressed, how do you want God to encourage your heart? If you're full of fear, well, specifically tell God and boldly ask God to help you overcome your fears and achieve a a sense of peace in your life. If one of my daughters comes to me uh, upset and and, and crying and, and wants me to help them, I'll often say through the tears, I'll try to get them to say, listen, hey, just tell me what you want. What is it that you specifically want me to do for you? Jesus did this throughout his ministry. Oftentimes, right before he would minister to someone, he'd say, what is it that you want? What do you want me to do for you? Maybe the Father's asking you that this morning about the need that's on your heart. What is it that you want the Father to do for you? Jesus in the garden, he asked boldly. He brought his need. He asked boldly. But then he also surrendered completely. And that's the third way we can follow Jesus' pattern is surrender completely. Jesus asked boldly and surrendered completely. Look back at the verse. Uh, It says, going a little further, he fell uh, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. And again, Miller's got a great chapter on this, but he talks about the tension of asking boldly and specifically, just as Jesus did, and yet in the next breath, being able to surrender completely and say, may your will be done. So what's it look like for you in your life to surrender completely? The truth is, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I know. I know God wants us to trust that He is good, that His plans are good, that he has your best interest and my best interest at heart, and that God is weaving a story together with our lives and that he's working all things together, Romans tells us, for our eternal good and ultimately for his glory. And you know, Jesus' prayer of surrender in the garden led him to the cross. And it was on the cross 
where Jesus prayed his most heart-wrenching prayer of his whole life. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the last question Jesus ever asked his father. And in that moment when Jesus prayed, when he cried out to his father and asked his father that question, it was the first time in his life that the father turned his face away from his son. And it was the first time in Jesus' life that he lost the intimate relationship that so carried him through to this point. And it, it was on the cross that Jesus lost that intimate relationship, but it's where we gained it. This is the beauty of the cross. This is the wonderful and the good news that you and I now, because of Jesus' death on the cross, you and I can have the kind of prayer life and you and I can have the kind of intimate relationship with God that Jesus had with him. Cameron and the band are going to come out And they're going to sing one more song. They're going to sing a song about the moment on that cross when Jesus was on that cross. The song is called uh, Beautiful, Terrible Cross. Because it was both a beautiful act, but it was also terrible. And I want you to just take a few minutes. And I want you to sit and reflect on what Jesus did for you as you listen to them sing. And then after their song, we're going to take... Uh, communion together as a family. We're going to have a time of communion together. And so sit through this song and when they're finished, I'll come back up and I'll walk us through a time of prayer and communion.